Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My name is John Doran and I write about music. I host the video series British Masters for Noisy. And after a few years and 30-odd episodes, we finally got round to putting up the audio. On this episode, I sat down with Stuart Braithwaite from Mogwai, who found fertile new ground between post-rock, goth and indie during the 90s, offering a welcome counterbalance to the comparatively lighter sounds of Britpop. Nine studio albums later, for many, they remain to this day a blueprint of what an independent group should be. So, Stuart, welcome to British Masters. And like, I want to get this British thing out of the way straight away. Northern British Masters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you identify in terms of nationality? Scottish. And what do you think about the tag British? You know, it used to bother me because I used to feel that it was someone saying that you weren't Scottish. But I guess having gone through the, the whole Scottish referendum, I've kind of reconciled that with just recognising that it's the island of Britain. I think to kind of homogenise it does the great things about Wales and England and Scotland a bit of a disservice. There's something of the empire about it. I saw some articles this week about people would rather say they were English or Scottish than British. And I think that's because a lot of things done in the name of Britain were fucking horrible. Yeah. You know, and, and people don't know as much about that as they should do. Uh, about the famines in India and Ireland and all, all these things. Also makes me kind of think a bit of fucking royal wedding type shit. <laughs> Makes me angry. <laughs> Anyone can get married, I just don't want to fucking pay for it if I've never met them. So your Atomic album was kind of reworkings of music that you'd composed for a documentary that took, I guess you'd call a dispassionate look at like life and death in the nuclear age. You've played a lot of gigs playing that music. I believe one of them was in Hiroshima. Uh, I mean, how, how was that? That was hard. That was one of the moments where we're all kind of looking at each other going, was this a good idea? The place that we played it was so small that we couldn't play in front of the screen or they wouldn't have been able to see the screen. So we actually yeah. had to play behind the screen, which is apparently a, a no-no in Japan. Oh, really? So we had to give a speech before the film to explain that we couldn't play in front of the screen right. and then to kind of also make a bit of a case for it because people in Japan didn't really, they hadn't seen the film. Yeah. And some of them didn't know what the film was really about. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So I had to give a speech explaining what the film was about and obviously explain that it was in tribute to all the people that died. Yeah, it was really intense. But I think we're glad, glad we did it. You'd been to Hiroshima before, hadn't you? Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the reasons we were so keen to do it, because we played a regular show there and all went to the Peace Park and saw the, the letters from the mayor. He writes letters to every country that's considering taking up nuclear weapons or has nuclear weapons. And it's something we feel quite strongly about. It was one of the reasons I, I was such a ardent campaigner for Scottish independence as well, because it was stated that if Scotland got independence and got rid of the nuclear base in Scotland, yeah. there was nowhere else for them. So the UK would 
not have this fucking massive drain on our tax money that serves no purpose than to kill millions of people. It just seems obscene. But. As like a proponent for Scottish independence, the last four or five years must have been quite hellish, really, in some respects. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird time. Yeah, the, the things in Scotland are really, really odd. In a weird way, the, the arguments about Scottish independence have taken away from people in Scotland having a dispassionate view of how shit the government in Westminster is because all people seem interested in talking about is whether there's going to be another referendum. So like Ruth Davidson of the Tory party, who's just a massive fraud, like has no policy ideas or anything apart from just waving Union Jacks. I've kind of almost tried to blank it out. I don't have broadcast TV. Or I don't know how people can watch Question Time. Yeah, I'd yeah. fucking just have a break through my telly. So, I mean, what I was thinking about, obviously at the time, you were kind uh -huh. of like vocally against Britpop. But the way that I saw Mogwai at the time as an outsider uh -huh. was like you were coming through as like a wave of Scottish underground culture being rejuvenated. And it wasn't just like Primal Scream, Finding the Feet and Eurosavietsa and Arab Strap, but also like literature, you know, James Kelman, Alan Warner, Ali Smith. Was what was happening in the mid-90s in Scotland totally? I think so. Musically, Britpop seemed very alien. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't good bands and some great records made, because there were, but it was all a little bit Tony Blair, Damien Hurst, kind of axis of people that you're just like, I don't really trust these these people, you know? And in, and in Scotland, there were cool things happening, yeah. If you explain this to, to someone a lot younger than us, they might not realise how powerful things like the music press were mm. back then. I mean, they don't really exist anymore, but the, yeah. the music press was sort of all, you're either in or you're out, and people were openly laughing at bands that we loved, like Sonic Youth, and you're like, Sonic were making fucking brilliant records in the mid-90s. Yeah. I'm sure someone young who didn't know about that environment might look back and see about some of the daft things we said and be like, why would you be like that? But it kind of almost felt at the time like we were kind of fighting our corner, you know, of not just our music, but the validity of, of making music that was serious and powerful and not a fucking joke. Every, everything was a bit of a joke and it was all a bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink people putting on mad EastEnders voices when they were all from fucking private schools. It probably seems a bit daft now, but at the time it, it felt like the, the way to go. With the kind of democratisation of music these days, you know, obviously most bands can bypass the music press and the music press doesn't really get that much of a say in what gets bought or doesn't anymore. But have we lost something from back then? Who you really need to talk to about this is Slowdive, because Slowdive got fucking shat on by the music press, yeah. like actually bullied, and they were like young kids. And I remember Rachel telling me about some journalist like going up to them at Redden and going, this time next year, you're going to be working in a supermarket. Can you imagine that now? And now you've got every album reviews four out of five because they want to check they can still get free tickets. If you write a negative review these days, seriously, four of the four of the publications will do think pieces on it. I think there has been something lost because criticism is quite important and we don't really live in a four out of five world. What's the most cutting review you've had? What's the one that's really stayed with you? I think we got one in Melody Maker where the guy was like, yeah, this is all right, but what is the point of this band? <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> it just bothered me. I was like, what's the point in any fucking band? It's just, <laughs> it's just a record. Looking back, it's pretty funny because I think he was saying like, they're not trying to fill out an arena. They're just, like, what, what's the point? It's kind of weird because we've never really thought about anything literally. And sometimes people think the other way. They'll be like, oh, your songs aren't about anything. They don't mean anything. Like, the fucking songs mean everything to us. But I guess when we write them, we're just making something. I kind of lo love visual art when they're like, what is it? And they're like, I don't know. Just... But isn't it nice? What's the story behind Take Me Somewhere Nice? Well, I was watching it on YouTube the other night and I was like, fucking hell, this has been watched 70 million times. Yeah. That's mad, isn't it? What What's the story behind that? I don't know. I mean, people do keep watching it. And, it, and it's like like the comments under it. They're really are heavy. Like, it, it's, yeah, very heavy, but also like the length of Lord of the Rings or something, you know? Yeah, it seems to be some kind of, I don't know, group sharing experience for like troubled people. I'm pretty happy about that, but I genuinely don't know why so many people like listening to that song on YouTube. It seems a bit surprising. So one of the many reasons why I'm speaking to you today, other than it being a pleasure, is the fact that the next gig Mogwai are playing is as part of Robert Smith's Meltdown. Robert's been a vocal supporter of Mogwai for a long time, hasn't he? Yeah, he has, yeah, yeah. I still think I remember hearing for the first time that Robert Smith liked Mogwai and I was just like, are you fucking kidding? That's amazing. I mean, they were literally the first band I ever saw. Massive Cure fan and yeah, they took us on tour and. 2004 and so that was a curiosity talk yeah. for six weeks yeah. yeah what was that like it just kind of descended into some kind of lord of the flies drinking competition yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was good you know how to have a good time what would you say that mogwai i've learned from the cure all of us were really really taken aback on that tour as to how dedicated they were how many songs they could play they just worked really really hard they're very single-minded i mean the cure have been in and out of fashion and back in again Loads of times, they never started getting whatever Wycliffe on a tune or anything, do you know what I mean? They always kind of just, <laughs> just did their own fucking thing. So yeah, I, I, I think we've learned a lot. And music, musically, we owe a massive debt to The Cure. 21 years ago, I went to watch you play at the garage yeah. with Arab Strap at your end of tour party. Yeah. Now, I don't remember anything about the gig because I ate a load of drugs and I passed out and got thrown out. The weird thing about this gig is, is depending on who you talk to afterwards, it was either the greatest thing that ever happened or the worst thing that ever happened. I wondered if you could fill, in, fill me in on what, what happened. Yeah. Well, we'd been on tour with Arab Strap and it was quite a debauched tour. I guess we were all quite young and in quite high spirits. It kind of felt on the tour that the more drunk or wasted everyone was, the better it was, which in retrospect was not true. But because this was the, the last night, we wanted to get extra wasted and Arab Strap thought they'd broken an amp. Do you remember this? Yeah, I've talked to her about and it. And they, yeah, they poured a pint of Guinness into the amp. I think we'd smashed all our stuff up. And I actually remember, because we've still got the same booking agent and like got like called to his office and got a row. Like I was going to the head teachers, yeah. I remember at one point playing a song and another member of the band who I won't shame, but he was playing a completely different song. It, it was all right. I'm sure some of it sounded okay. But yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was pretty mental. You got an amazing vocal performance out of Rocky Erickson from 13th yep. Floor Elevators. And like for people who don't know, he's someone who's been like beleaguered by very, very poor mental health his entire yeah. life. Yeah. How was that experience? 
It was a great experience. So I went to Austin, met Rocky, and went to the studio, and after he sang the song, it was, he was like some local ice cream shop had named a milkshake after him. And like me and him went to get Rocky Erickson yeah. milkshake, and it was cool. He's just a sweet guy. And I mean, you talked about the problems he's had. A lot of that was because he got jailed for like having a joint and got electroshock therapy. And they just fucking tortured this poor guy just through institutional evil. But yeah, he's a good guy and he's made some of the best records of all time. I used to have a pastime of like when I was going to see um, Mogwai live, I'd look out for a debutant and mm. think, who hasn't seen Mogwai yeah. live in this audience before and watch him during like Herod. It's like a very dynamic shift in this song. It goes very, very quiet and then a huge chord comes in. And I was watching you in a nightclub in Liverpool in 2003, and this really well-dressed young gentleman, he was just like jabbering at me all the way through this song, all the way through the quiet bit, and I just let him. And then this chord came in, and he just slumped into my arms. Oh, when, really? Yeah, and he went, fucking hell, I've shot me kecks. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a new one. <laughs> yeah. So you must have seen some kind of pretty dramatic audience reactions yeah. in your time. It is quite, it is quite satisfying because sometimes you'll get kind of annoyed, you'll see folk, I don't know, tweeting each other or whatever, and yeah, you give them a fright, which is good. I don't know what it was like in the 80s, because I know you hear like mad stories, like, you know, the time suicide played supporting the, the clash, clash in Glasgow yeah. and they had an ax thrown at them. Yeah. But like when I was going watching gigs in the mid 80s in Liverpool, it felt like you could end up in hospital after watching The Primitives. So I saw a riot break out during a Sugar Cubes gig and yeah. two of my mates got hospitalised. You listen to that music now, it's kind of quite twee really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. well, what was it like watching bands in Scotland when you were a teenager? Sometimes it was a wee bit hairy. I remember a, a revolting Cox gig that was absolutely mental. And then I, w I went to see them again a few years ago. It's still a good show, but it's just not the same. Yeah. I think society's safer. Do you know what I think? Just generally, you're less likely to get your head kicked in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's another thing as well, which is like, you know, people forget that the revolting Cox were brought up in Parliament and they were on like the front page of the Sunday Sport. You know what I mean? It was like people were really like, well, who is this band, The Revolting Cox? It blows my mind if you actually think about it, that these fucking, I don't know which way they are around here, these fuckers are banging on about fucking Snoop Doggy Dog and The Revolting Cox. And if they banned Tyler, the creator, to some time? Yeah, yeah, he's been banned from this country for about four years now. I mean, I for fuck's sake. They're doing shit like this while they're fucking having Jimmy Savile over for fucking tea. Yeah. So there's a real darkness in the British establishment. And all this, fucking pro-heroine of the fucking royal wedding and all this crap. It can't cover that stink, you know? Really fucking stinks. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. That was me, John Doran, talking to a British musician who has changed the course of popular culture. This is the British Masters podcast. Watch the visual versions of the episodes on YouTube by searching Noisy British Masters and subscribe here to get new episodes of the audio version. Godspeed, friends, and remember, listen to Electric Wizard. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. 
Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 